0: You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. You know, we often hear about Christmas and we read about the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And while we do think it's wonderful, and it is, I wonder if we often understand truly the significance of the story. I mean, we have this buildup of this holiday season to this high holy day of December 25th, Christmas. You know what I'm talking about, right? And then when you open up the last present and then there's this letdown. And then you think about, okay, next holiday, New Year's Eve, and you think about how I'm gonna celebrate that. Or perhaps we do see the significance of this holiday. We understand it, and we even deem it theologically necessary. But then we're quick to move on to the second coming of Christ, and, and we're excited about that. Now, I don't mean to be cynical. I don't mean to be critical of either position, because I do like some of the things that we get to do during Christmas, I'm thinking about Vince Guaraldi's A Charlie Brown Christmas Soundtrack, right? You guys, are, there we go. You're with me. Um, but even more, I do love and I desire his second appearing. Christ is coming back. Amen? Amen. But here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to have a, an honest assessment. Let's be honest about why we're celebrating what we're celebrating I want us to that's right Jesus I want to encourage us to have a proper focus a proper focus about what is true about Christmas and that's what's so good church that's what's so good about advent we're taking the time to to slow down because when we do we can then truly reconsider what Christmas truly is. And then, all the more, we can see why we should celebrate Christmas. When we slow down, when we take the time, when we adjust our focus, we grow in awe of the fact that the second person of the Trinity was born of a virgin and became man second person of the trinity became one of us became one of us the holy spirit he commissioned luke he commissioned luke to to open up the gospel to us and he commissioned him to tell us what is true about this story he opens his gospel to us this way in verse 3 of chapter 1 of luke It seemed good to me also, Luke says, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Verse four, pay attention to this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Concerning the certainty of the things you have been taught. And here's why that's so important, church. There are consequences to the way we believe and what we believe. There are consequences to what we believe. If we believe with all our might in something that turns out to be be a lie, we are people most to be pitied. Here's another way to, to look at it. If we believe that nothing happens after we die... That there is no life after death. We have another thing coming. To be frank. The scariest part about believing. In the wrong thing. Is that our eternity. Our very eternity is at stake. But the good news is this. The good news is that this good news. The gospel is true. It's true. And this thing called life with it changing and moving so fast we need we need the very one who was born of a virgin and became man we need the one who is the creator of life himself the one who makes the impossible possible he is the anchor he is the anchor for our souls he's our joy he's our peace He is our refuge, and he is our savior. So let's slow down now. Let's slow down together, and let's allow God's word to discern our hearts as we read it together. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting with verse 26. If you're able to, please stand with me as we read God's word. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing Will be impossible with God. Mary said. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. According to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days. Mary arose and went with haste. Into the hill country. To a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. And greeted Elizabeth. And When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. And to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. This is God's Word. You guys may be seated. What a song of praise! What a story! Now, off in this passage, Mary's Magnificat, and we had a wonderful history lesson posted on Realm by Desmond, which was really, really helpful. Thank you, brother, for that. But Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise, the verses 46 through 56, that last part, when it's read on its own, it's beautiful. And the poetry is sublime on its own merit, to be sure. And then when it's combined and coupled with a beautiful melody. The truths of these words begin to stir the soul. But if these were the only verses that we see, certainly because of the supernatural power of God's word, it would communicate many things, including the power and the glory of God. But God's word, listen up. God's word is best delivered and received in a setting, in a context context. And that helps us understand the deeper truths that are intended to transform us. God's word is intended to transform us, his people. So to help us in doing that, we're going to ask one fundamental question, which we should ask quite often of anything we read, but that question is why? Why? Why is Mary so thrilled? Why is Mary so overcome with emotion that when she meets Elizabeth, The first words out of her mouth are words of praise. Why is that? Well, we'll take a look at the text to give us the answer. Now recall Luke's opening statement in verse three. And what Luke is presenting to us here, he's presenting to us an historical account that provides the certainty, the certainty needed to believe in this gospel. And then Luke, he goes right into in verse five, providing the historical context for this story. The king of Judah at the time was Herod. And there was this faithful couple who served the Lord. He was Zechariah. He was a priest. And his wife, Elizabeth, she was from a family of priests. And they were both old. And sadly, they were childless. Luke describes Elizabeth as barren. And both were well advanced in years. And we know from our time in Genesis, if you guys have been with us, especially in that time and in that culture, having children to continue the family line was everything. It was everything. And not being able to have children was often considered a curse. So that way of thinking, combined with a lack of trust in God and his covenant promises, it got the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their respective wives, it got them in a lot of trouble. But Luke here, he records in chapter eight, excuse me, verses eight through 23, that Zechariah, he received a once in a lifetime commission to serve in the temple in Jerusalem to go ahead and light the incense. So it was there in the temple that the Lord had delivered a message to the angel Gabriel. And that not only would he open the womb of Elizabeth, so that they could have a baby. They will name him John. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to turn the hearts of many to the Lord. To make ready as Luke's gospel says. For a people. For make ready for the Lord. A people prepared for the Messiah. Now imagine you're Zechariah, You're receiving this message from the Lord. From the angel. And his response was one that didn't please the angel. And so Gabriel, in his response, he rebuked Zechariah's unbelief. And then he became mute. He became mute until the birth of his son, John the Baptist. But I want us to take a look at the tone and the strength of the angel's rebuke. Because it's going to have bearing on what we're going to be talking about later. If you take a look at verse 19 of Luke chapter 1, in response to Zechariah's unbelief, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day when these things will take place, because you didn't believe My words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Angels are messengers in the very presence of God, and they're sent to bring God's word to God's people. Now, I want you to contrast this event with Zechariah, and we'll compare it to the one we just read in verses 26 through 38, when Gabriel was sent to Mary. So look at verse 26 again with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So you have here in the case of Zechariah, God sends his angel to the temple in Jerusalem. It's the center of worship, right? It's the meeting place of God with man. People take pilgrimages to go to Jerusalem. And he's sent to a priest. We know a priest is a highly recognized, he's an ordained leader of the nation. And perhaps Zachariah is well-to-do. He's got a second career going down in the hill country of Judah. And in the case of Mary, the meeting took place with her in a little village in the north, away from Jerusalem. The unofficial motto of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Luke was diligent to record the family line of Mary. And he made sure that we understood that her husband came from, uh, Joseph, came from the line of David. But again, the contrast between Zechariah, priest, and then Mary, a young woman, just engaged, a lot of commentaries and historians understand that she was most likely around 14 or 15 years old. She was poor. She was otherwise unrecognized. One commentator even said that Mary had virtually no social status. She couldn't even afford an iPhone. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Yet what the angel says to her, this is what I want us to see. What the angel says to her is absolutely stunning. Instead of what has been the customary greeting, do not be afraid when an angel meets a human, do not be afraid, the angel, this is an angel who stands in the very presence of God. He says to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Before we move on to the rest of the text, I want us to recognize something here. We often desire recognition. We crave approval. We crave that affirmation from others for a lot of different reasons. We claim our identity in what others say and think about us. And when we don't get what we want by way of that affirmation, we're crushed. As we pursue that more and more, it becomes unhealthy. That pursuit can devolve into idolatry. Because when we want that affirmation from others, what we're saying is that we're worth it. And that we want that affirmation, it becomes our supreme motivation. And we engage in a very unique and deceptive way of self-worship. Here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Look up. Don't look down. Look up. Look up at the one and set your gaze on the one whose opinion of you matters supremely. The Lord is with you because as you are in Christ, as you are united by Christ in faith, Like Mary, God sees you as favored, and He is with you. He is with you. So, another note about this greeting here from Gabriel. The Bible says that angels long to see what salvation feels like, they want to be recipients of this gospel. They don't know because they haven't felt the salvation that only human beings can, can receive. So Gabriel's, he's he's anticipating the joy that is to come with the birth of the Savior. He's excited to deliver the greatest news ever. So while Gabriel, he told Zachariah that John would be the one, his son, to deliver the good news, Mary is being told that the one that's in her womb is the good news. So to be fair, again, we talked about visitations from angels. If we were to be visited by an angel, I'm not sure how we would react. So we'll cut Zachariah some slack because Mary, she's a little bit out of sorts here in verse 29. After hearing that news, look at her reaction. But she, Mary, verse 29, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And here comes the assurance. Listen to the good news in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. It would be one thing for Mary to hear that she will have a baby. It would be another thing to know that she's carrying the son of the Most High. For Zachariah to be told the name of his son John was given by God, that's amazing. But now for Mary to hear that the baby's name is and what he was destined to do, that's an entirely other thing. The very name Jesus, as Matthew says, means that he will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus means God is salvation. Before we move on to the second half of verse 32, you guys remember who was king of Israel at the time. It was Herod, King Herod. And for reasons I'm not going to get into now, he was not the rightful king. He was a puppet king of the Roman uh, government. He was a puppet king of the Roman Empire. And beyond that, even more, the Jews suffered under his reign and also through the occupation of the Romans. And then worse than that, many Jews, they're looking to the religious leaders of the day. They're looking to the ones who are ordained by God to help them out, to lead by example. But even they, in some cases... They were, they were just making themselves unreal because they were fooling themselves and taking advantage of the common Jew. How were they doing that? They were imposing their strict moral codes, and they were flaunting their sense of self righteousness. And sadly, they were becoming rich along the way. And we know this because Jesus himself said this about the religious leaders. He said, those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, he condemned them. So this is the setting. I bring that up to have us understand this was what it was like. This was the context in which Israel was longing to be delivered from this outward but real oppression. It was oppression on all kinds of level levels. Social, economic, and everything in between. Military. Everything about the national psyche, Israel was kept, kept being beaten down and succumbed to this pressure from King Herod and the Roman government, as well as the religious leaders. Israel was looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for the promised one to rule and to reign over them with mercy, with righteousness, with justice. In accomplishing this plan of salvation, the Messiah, Jesus, the one whose birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, he not only secures salvation for us, but he is the rightful heir and he's going to be the one to rule and to reign. And he's the one who's going to rule and reign, not just for a thousand years, but forever. Look at verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne Of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, again, let's pause, take a breath, let's consider who the players in this story are and what was just announced. Mary, again, very likely a young teenager, she just heard from God through an angel that she will carry the future king of Israel who happens to be the son of God. Let that settle in a little bit. I think then we can empathize with Mary's response. And I think this is one of genuinely asking how this is going to happen because she hasn't consummated her uh, marriage to Joseph yet. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? So, regardless of whatever the motivation for the question was, gave Gabriel an opportunity to respond. And I like what one commentator says. He says that the answer here, Luke describes with great delicacy an incomprehensible event. This is something that has never happened nor ever will happen again. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she's also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. An incomprehensible event indeed. But again, Luke records this for our certainty. This is for our certainty to know. And there's something here I want us to look at. I want us to see the very nature of God at work in this plan of salvation. If you notice at these set of verses, you have the Father, God the Father, the Most High, through the power of the Holy Spirit who alights upon Mary to form a child where the very Son of God will become the God-man. A description of all the persons of the Holy Trinity working together in perfect unity to accomplish what was promised from the beginning of time. You guys remember the prophecy and the promise of God in Genesis chapter 3? The proto-evangelion, the first gospel? It said here, the promised seed of the woman, as prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, who will soon crush the head of Satan. And Mary, a poor, young, newly engaged teenager, from Nowersville, She's the chosen vessel. The chosen vessel to accomplish the perfect plan of the triune God. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen? So let's look at Mary's response. It's one of humble obedience. It's a response of faith. Listen to her response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. According to your word. Now in these next set of verses, verse 39 through 45, we're going to see uh, Mary going hastily to visit Elizabeth. So why was she going to Elizabeth? Elizabeth. Why was she in haste? Why was she in a hurry? Was it that perhaps her pregnancy would bring shame on her family and her future husband? Talk about scandal, right? Premarital sex was grounds for severe punishment, and it would be a stain on what otherwise would have been an honorable engagement between Mary and Joseph. Perhaps Mary's visit to Elizabeth was because Elizabeth had provisions. She had food, she had servants, she was well-to-do, and especially that would be good for Mary's first trimester. Many of you know how critical a time that is. Or was it out of a desire to see Elizabeth that she just heard that her cousin, who never had kids and never was going to have kids, Is now going to have a child. So we look at verse 39. In those days Mary arose. And went with haste. Into the hill country. To a town in Judah. Before we move on. Consider this. The trip down to the hill country. In Judah from Nazareth. That was probably about a three to five day. Journey. So think about a slow moving caravan. On foot from here to San Diego. No doubt during that time, Mary had time to reflect. She had time to think about what was just told her from the angel Gabriel. Mary, although she was poor, she grew up in a faithful household. In that household, they had a rich tradition, most likely of passing down the word of God through the spoken word. There was this oral tradition. At the same time, they did have preserved manuscripts. So Mary undoubtedly had the scriptures internalized in her heart and in her mind. And considering she was told the good news about her cousin, even though her faithful service to God didn't uh, yield any benefits to her, Mary was now thinking about her life. She's thinking, I'm pregnant too. And the baby that I'm carrying is the long prophesied savior. Wow. But both of those miracles, it brought to mind the Old Testament story of Hannah. Hannah, like Elizabeth, she was a faithful servant, but she too was barren and she suffered for it. In God's mercy, however, God answered Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. Her prayer was for a son, and she willingly dedicated him to the Lord for his service. Her son was a prophet Samuel. And Samuel, and this is another amazing way in which the Lord preserves his people and he keeps the line going. Samuel established a division of priests of which Zechariah belonged to a thousand years later. And that was the division of Abijah. But this was the same Samuel that helped usher in the rightful king of Israel at the time, King David. You guys see the connections? It was King David. So I want us to see how the faithfulness of God's word played out in this incredible exchange between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Look at verse 40. And Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Do you notice in this passage, we have the Holy Spirit, we have joy the presence and power of the holy spirit at work in filling elizabeth so that she may know and proclaim the blessing upon mary and the child the holy spirit's creative power in fashioning in the womb of mary jesus the Holy Spirit opening up the mind and the heart of Mary to see his faithfulness in recalling the story of Mary in the past so that she could believe the promises and soon to be fulfilled in the future in the person and the work of the one whom she is carrying in her womb. That is what is proclaimed by Elizabeth as she prophesies to Mary. Remember our question when we first started out. Why? Why does Mary break out in praise? Because our God is merciful. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. Our God is holy. Our God is righteous. Our God is true. And what he says will happen. It's as good as done. And Mary believed she believed and that is why Mary is singing praise look at verse 45 as Elizabeth prophesies over Mary and blessed is she who believed who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord that she would be the one who would carry the Savior and Mary said this my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant this is the same God who saw the plight of Sarah's servant Hagar in Genesis you remember this is the same God who heard the prayers of Rachel in church Despite who we are and the sins that we have done, this is the same God who sees you and me with a heart of mercy and compassion. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the prouds in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things And the rich he has sent away, empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. As we sang in worship. Oh, the mercy our God has shown to those who sit in death's shadow. As Mary sang. Oh, the mercy of God who has looked on the humble estate of his servant. As King David pleaded, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God's mercy, church. God's mercy. It is tender. It is new every morning. What is this mercy? What is this mercy so freely given to those who fear God. What is this mercy that God remembers as he saves his people? Twice here in Mary's song of praise, she believes and she receives the mercy of God. Mercy. We often think that mercy is something that we don't get, which is something we should deserve, namely punishment. So it's punishment withheld, and while that's true, mercy is so much more than that, church. Mercy is so much more than that. The Greek word for mercy is eleos. Elios. Now, in ancient Greece, eleos was a personification of mercy, clemency, of compassion, of pity. As the Holy Spirit shows us our sin and our utter need to be forgiven for our sin before a holy God, we can see how much we need mercy. We see that, don't we? In the Bible, God's mercy is specifically that Greek word, "eleos." It's the kindness and goodwill towards the miserable, the afflicted, the sinner. That's you, that's me. But it's joined together, this this goodwill and this kindness is joined together with a desire and a provision for salvation in Christ. In the mercy of God, this is what I'm getting at. In the mercy of God, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God in his mercy for us. And that's the mercy that Mary knows. That's the mercy that she's experienced as she's praising the Lord in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, in remembrance of his kindness, in remembrance of his good will, moved by compassion to save his people. So before you conclude, wow, this is a, this is a good story. It's inspirational. It is. But I want you again to consider the why question. Why the mercy of God? Why do I need the mercy of God? You remember the consequences of what we believe in are real. Jesus says unequivocally, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus further says, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am the one who has taken on the punishment for your sins and offer you forgiveness, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But now, hear the good news and receive the mercy of God. First Peter chapter one, that very same word mercy, Elios is here as Peter like Mary, he exalts God. He rejoices in him. First Peter chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to the reason why we celebrate Advent in his first appearing, because of his great mercy. Look at Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, starting with verse seven. And I want again for us to see the triune God In his perfect work. In our salvation. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But when the goodness. And the loving kindness. Of God our savior. Appeared. He saved us. He saved us. Not because of works. Done by us in righteousness. But according to what church. His own. Mercy. His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Church, this is why we celebrate the appearing of Christ, our Savior. This is why we celebrate Advent. Amen? Now, 2,000 years ago, we're reading a story that took place 2,000 years ago. God's mercy was at work so that we could experience that same mercy today. Today. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent so that times of refreshing may come from the very presence of the Lord. The very presence that was formed in the womb of Mary. The very presence of the one who took on the sins of the world. Your sin and my sin. The one who crushed the head of Satan and defeated death is the same one that offers you mercy this morning. Receive his mercy and his kindness through the salvation in Christ so that like Mary, you too can sing, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior.